Hello, this is Patrick Ridgell with Transamerica. And once again, I'm here with Transamerica Asset Management Chief Investment Officer, Tom Wall. Tom, welcome back. Thank you, Patrick. So, Tom, you've just written a piece entitled Inflation is Back, But How Long Will It Stay? In which you, you take a look at some recent data that, although not too unexpected, it really highlights a pretty big turn, at least in the short term, regarding inflation, which is something we haven't seen much of in recent years. Yes, Patrick, the reemergence of inflation has quickly become a quite gripping development markets are now wrestling with. I say this because up until this past month or so, inflation had been so benign and non-threatening, at least in the aggregate sense, for so many years. If you look back over the past decade, uh, as measured by the Consumer Price Index or CPI, inflation has averaged about one and a half percent over the past 10 years. And it's been since 2012 that the CPI index has experienced a calendar year above three percent. So the question on pretty much everyone's mind is, are we looking at a change in long term trend or just a variation within the existing one? So, Tom, the obvious question before we go into the details of some of this new data and perhaps change in the trend is, why has inflation been so low for so long? Uh, yes, that's a great question, Patrick. And, and this has been a continuous topic of debate among economists over the past several years. And, and there simply is no single answer. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the theories for the persistently low inflation these past 10 years or so have surrounded uh, a few central causes. One is uh, globalization of trade, being that countries are, sor- are sourcing goods more from outside their borders than in the past and therefore less susceptible to supply chain shortages exclusive to their specific economy. A second mm-hmm. is demographics in the workforce. Over this, uh, o- over this time, the past 10 years, 10 years or so, we've seen pretty much a complete breakdown in what's been known as the Phillips curve, which is the historical relationship between employment trends and inflation. Some of the thinking here is that there's been uh, a strong age demographic shift in the workforce as more baby boomers reach 65 or older. And, and and that's been affecting wages. They either work longer or their jobs are replaced by uh, younger workers. Uh, there's also the concept of technology-based distribution channels, meaning that the change in consumer habits toward internet purchasing uh, has also kept prices down because you now have nationally-based comparative price shopping rather than locally based. Some theories have even gone so far as to say that global central banks have even played a role here in declaring official inflation targets, such as the Federal Reserve's long-term target of 2% inflation, which could play a role in the long-term expectations of consumers and businesses. Mm -hmm. So it really is a mosaic here, Patrick, a number of different forces, if you will. And there's plenty of debate as to which of these forces have been the most influential, but clearly in a combined impact, they've all contributed to an extremely low inflationary environment pretty much uh, since we fully recovered from the financial crisis and Great Recession back in about 2011, all up until these uh, most recent couple of weeks, of course. Interesting. And, And because of this, inflation just has not really been all that much on the minds of consumers or even investors for some time. Uh, that That's right. A lot of speculation as to when we'll see it. Uh, but up until this past month, not a lot of concern about the current inflation, uh, as in hard numbers displaying that it's back. Until these past few weeks. That's right. So uh, the shot across the bow 
has now been heard. It, it mm -hmm. pretty much occurred in mid-May when the Bureau of Labor Statistics released April uh, CPI, which displayed a monthly increase of 0.8%, its highest monthly increase since 2013. More noticeably, mm -hmm. the year-over-year -year price increase since April of 2020 uh, has was 4.2%. This was the largest year-over-year -year pickup since May of 2008. Now, mm -hmm. those were the headline numbers. Economists and investors commonly focus on the core inflation reading, which excludes the more volatile food and energy components of the index, uh, which uh, has also averaged below 2% over the past decade. So okay. here, this past April, core CPI came in at 0.9%, its highest monthly increase since 1991, and uh, year over year at an even 3%, its highest reading since 1996. Those are some big numbers. Uh, yes, they are. And just last week, they were followed by the April increase in the personal consumption expenditures, or PCE price index, which, although historically perhaps a bit less followed than the CPI, is actually the Federal Reserve's preferred measure of inflation. And what they pretty much look at in assessing their long-term inflation target of uh, 2%, uh, which, of course, influences their monetary policy. So this metric came in at a headline of 3.6% year-over-year and 3.1% year-over-year on its core reading, which, again, is what the Fed watches most closely. So this was pretty much a confirmation on CPI and officially puts inflation front and center with the Fed also, uh, though uh, Chairman Powell and his colleagues have talked a good a bit about inflation uh, in recent weeks as well. Tom, how much of a surprise has this been or should it have been for the markets? Uh, I, I really don't think they should have been that much surprised by these numbers. Okay. Uh, perhaps these uh, CPI and PCE readings uh, came in a bit higher than consensus expectations. But conceptually speaking, it's been no great secret that the economy has been accelerating at a torrid pace so far this year. And uh, that on a year-over-year -year basis, we are coming up against comparisons to the depths of last year's COVID-19-related economic contraction. Mm -hmm. uh, remember, April 2020 was the worst individual month of economic shock uh, going all the way back to the Great Depression of the 1930s. Mm -hmm. So the notion of this April, April 2021, uh, being a breakout month for inflation was definitely out there. And, and that's pretty much what we got. So, Tom, this plays right into the second half of your piece. How long will inflation stay? Uh, yes. And, and Patrick, uh, that is at the heart of the entire inflation uh, question right now. Yeah. Uh, and it's one creating a good bit of debate. So at its core, pardon the pun, is the question as to whether or not these newly established higher rates of inflation, as seen in the past month or so, will be, quote unquote, transitory in nature. Uh, which is a term uh, the Fed has been using a lot of late, uh, or whether it is indicative of a more substantial longer-term change in trend. Okay. And in this regard, I think you have to look hard at the variance of economic conditions versus this time last year, uh, as well as uh, some relatively basic math. Okay. So as I mentioned uh, a moment ago, Patrick, we are looking at the one-year anniversary of April 2020, 
which was the worst month for the U.S. economy in about 80 years. Uh, since then, uh, we've had an exceptionally strong recovery, uh, soon to become an expansion, also of historical proportion. This has created reference to another uh, popular term being bantered about uh, quite a bit, which is uh, how much of this freshly minted inflation is due to quote-unquote base effects. By base effects, how much is being driven by the suppressed levels of inflation a year ago, which these new inflation numbers are being measured against. Right. Okay. So here's the math part. Uh, Inflation is measured by the levels of certain indexes like CPI and PCE that we just talked about. Uh, But it is, of course, reported on a rate of change on those indexes. So uh, imagine, here's a good analogy, Patrick. Imagine you're back in college. And instead of getting a GPA every semester, which are actually what your grades actually were, mm-hmm. you get the rate of change in your GPA from a year ago, that semester a year ago. Mm-hmm. So you get F's one year and C's the next, but on a rate of change, your C's now look like A's. Mm-hmm. That, in a nutshell, is inflationary base effects uh, that many think are the primary drivers of these higher rates. Because inflation got F's last year, their C's now look like A's? Yes, exactly. Okay. A- at least that's the premise on based on the base effects theory that many, including uh, Chairman Powell at the Fed, are espousing. Okay. Although I don't think they would use precisely the same GPA analogy I just did. But, but l- let's take a look at this for a minute. Last year's comparison, again, April 2020, the worst single month of economic contraction since the early 1930s, saw inflation as measured by headline CPI, increased by just three-tenths of 1% from the previous April in 2019. Now, that is very close to flat and non-existent inflation that we saw a year ago. Inflation got an F that month. It sure did. Uh, Because the economy had basically ground to a halt back then, Uh, close to a complete shutdown due to the great lockdown being implemented throughout throughout the economy. Uh, so the argument here is that if you take into account the exceptional rate of growth in the economy since those steps a year ago, I mean, depending on where uh, GDP uh, growth comes in for the second quarter we're in right now, and, and, and now just a ballpark uh, that uh, the Atlanta Fed is tracking second quarter GDP that we're in right now mm-hmm. at about 9% annualized. So by the end of 2021, we could be looking at aggregate GDP growth since the end of uh, the second quarter of last year, perhaps in the range of about 12% or so. So -hmm. you're going to see some inflation over a growth spurt like that in the economy. Uh, But even taking that into account, if you annualize CPI since April of 2019, pre-COVID, of course, uh, you're at a 2% annualized rate, or I should say you're at about a 2.2 annualized rate over that period of time. And that includes the three-tenths of 1% last year multiplied by your 4.2% this year. And that's right at about the Fed's target. Uh, and to most people, that's not very concerning. Uh, so that, Patrick, is your base effects argument. That's interesting. So 4.2% over one year, 
2.2% over two years, that's your A, that's something is really a C. Do you, do you really think this all holds water? Uh, I, I do, okay. but a, a, admittedly, we're pretty much going off one data point right now. So okay. the theory makes sense, but we have to see this play out over the next uh, several months or so. And, and here's where it gets even more interesting, Patrick. The next round of inflation reports uh, that we'll be seeing uh, comparing this month of May to last year's May are even more heavily weighted toward the base effects. For May of 2020, we're looking at uh, a CPI rate that was even more suppressed at just one-tenth of 1%. That sounds more like an F-. minus. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, bank on another A for inflation when the May reports uh, come out in, in a couple of weeks. Uh, and after that, the comparisons become a little less weighted toward base effects as the rest of 2020 averaged just over 1% uh, inflation or so. So a, a little easier on the math, but, but not a ton. Uh, so the base effects math will be in the inflation calculations to some extent for probably the remainder of the year. Uh, and, and this is what happens when you get a historic, very sharp, D-shaped recession and recovery in basically one year's time. And these base effect calculations play into the debate as to whether or not these new levels of inflation we've just seen, and likely will continue seeing to some extent for the rest of the year, will be quote-unquote transitory or, or more permanent in nature. Yes. So the big picture question, in my opinion, is whether or not we see these difficult year-over-year comparisons that will probably be in effect for at least another few months or so and then begin to normalize as a result of this V-shaped recovery following last year's uh, historic economic shock, or if we are on the cusp of a real turn here. Yeah. And Patrick, I keep coming back to that mosaic we talked about a few minutes that has created this past decade of low inflation, uh, the globalization of supply chains, age demographics, and the workforce and within consumer spending, technology and internet-based uh, purchasing trends, those, in my opinion, are big picture dynamics, not going away anytime soon. And so my judgment would be a higher likelihood of maybe about six months or so of higher inflationary comparisons before heading back to the Fed's target or toward the Fed's target of about 2% or so as we move into 2022. Okay. Uh, and Patrick, there's another interesting angle on the transitory debate. Uh, when you look at the actual comparison of the April CPI data, a very good article in Barron's uh, breaking these numbers down. Uh, remember, we said uh, that the April CPI on a monthly basis was up uh, about was up 0.8 percent, contributing to the 4.2 percent year over year headline reading. It looks like about 0.5 percent of that impact, more than half of uh, that 0.8% uh, came from a handful of industries most impacted by last year's uh, lockdown. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, industries like used cars, car rentals, airlines, hotels, live events, and fast food. Some of these business categories, Patrick, last year literally, almost physically, ground to a halt. Uh, mm -hmm. Take used cars and car rentals. Uh, some of these companies had to liquidate their inventories, and now with the reopenings, uh, they've had to buy buy them back. Uh, 
think of airlines and hotels. Traffic uh, goes to basically zero, and now you're back in the game. A lot of supplies and labor involved there, uh, and, and that sh and that shock buying, if you will, is really going to show up in your pricing. Uh, but after that, the argument can be made, uh, this is uh, sort of a one-time catch-up. So all of this, in my opinion, is sort of, like I said, a one-time catch-up in nature that we're seeing at this point in time. Uh, and all of this uh, supports uh, the transitory case argument, in my opinion. So you are in agreement with the Federal Reserve's perspective here that this current inflation will prove to be transitory? Uh, yes, for the most part. Uh, Chairman Powell and his fellow Fed members are on record with their judgment. Uh, that this inflation will prove to be transitory uh, in nature and uh, uh, in and of itself, uh, and I'm summarizing and paraphrasing, paraphrasing here, not warranting specific uh, Fed policy actions. So let's talk about this for a moment. The Fed has a dual mandate, as we know, maximum employment and price stability. So they have an obligation to take action if they see inflation getting out of hand. They sure do. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why they're pretty much at the epicenter of this debate on base effects and the transient versus non-transient profile of inflation. They really have to walk a tightrope and be spot on in their analysis. If they jump the gun and raise rates to combat inflation, and it does turn out to be transitory, that could choke off economic growth. If they were to be too complacent, believing it's transitory when it's more permanent and not take action, they could be behind the curve and need to raise rates after inflation had taken off uh, longer term. That would be bad. So mm -hmm. certainly not an enviable, enviable position they're in right now. So what do you think this pickup means from a Fed policy standpoint in terms of what the Fed might do from here? Uh, yeah, well, the Fed has a lot going on right now, Patrick, and they did even before uh, these inflation numbers hit. They've got a blistering hot economy on their hands, at least over the next year or so. As I think there's a strong probability that calendar year 2021 GDP growth could come in north of 7% or so. The consensus thinking, to which I agree, is that they won't raise the Fed funds rate until after they have tapered completely off of their $120 billion a month of open market bond buying, which will probably take about a year or so, putting the time frame on any rate hike likely at least into about 2023 or so. Uh, and at the foundation of all this is uh, Chairman Powell's publicly de declared commitment not to taper or tighten until there is evidence of what he has referred to as, quote unquote, substantial future progress in the economy, which is, of course, a quite vague statement. But in mm -hmm. my opinion, and in the opinion of many others, that means progress on the more than 8 million jobs that we are still short in the economy versus uh, the peak pre-pandemic job numbers of February 2020. So could these current inflation numbers, and more like them in the next several months, uh, move uh, Mr. Powell and the other Fed members away from this course? Uh, I don't think so. But uh, I think we'd have to see uh, even higher inflation comparisons, uh, noticeably higher than this past month, for at least uh, a few more months before the current plan becomes altered. Now, there is another very important factor in the mix here, and that goes back to August of last year when Chairman Powell announced the Fed's statement 
of longer-run goals and monetary policy, and its particular change of perspective regarding inflation. Uh, now, I'm going to quote directly from that statement that the Fed okay. released uh, last August, and it was, quote, uh, following periods when inflation has been running persistently below 2%, appropriate monetary policy will likely aim to achieve inflation moderately above 2% for some time, end of quote. The meaning behind this language uh, being, in our opinion, that following the past decade in which inflation persistently ran below the Fed's long-term target of 2%, they are now prepared to let it run above that target for some period of time. And in my opinion, that probably includes the next several months to determine or confirm whether the current inflationary environment proves to be transient. Mm -hmm. So, Patrick, there is a lot to play out here between now and the end of the year. But right now, I think the case is stronger. This current inflationary rise is transitory. Uh, and by the end of the year, we are back close to the Fed's uh, target of 2% or so. Tom, anything else you'd like to add as this inflation drama and debate plays out in the months ahead? Uh, well, just that, uh, as I've probably uh, mentioned before in previous conversations, I I've been around long enough to remember when inflation was bad, really bad, mm -hmm. uh, like double digits bad. Uh, back during the 1970s, early 1980s, uh, during my teenage years and when I was in college. Uh, in fact, in the summer of 1981, the Fed Chairman Paul Volcker had to take the Fed funds rate up to 20% in order to crack about 13% inflation. Uh, which fortunately worked. Uh, now, of course, to clarify, we are not anywhere near something like that right now, not even close. So uh, in this regard, I, I think you have to look at historical long-term inflationary trends and put everything in perspective. Over the past half century, dating back to 1971, annual inflation on the CPI has averaged about 3.9%, just about where this recent rise has taken us to. Uh, and over those 50 years, the S&P 500 has averaged an 11% annualized total return. And that has included that period of hyperinflation in the 70s and 80s I just mentioned. Uh, so inflationary cycles are part of long-term investing. Uh, finally, given the dramatic move we have had in the markets and the economy since March of last year, uh, I think you have to look at some level of higher inflation as a fair trade-off. We're on the verge of record aggregate GDP and record corporate earnings. Patrick, I don't think at this time last year anyone thought we could be at this point so soon. So if we get some transitory inflation for a few months or so, uh, that's a fair trade-off in my opinion. So you think the markets will still move higher? Uh, I do, Patrick. Now, granted, I've said for a while now stocks could be vulnerable to a correction, perhaps in the 10% range or so, really at any time, given the magnitude of the run that we've had since March of last year. Uh, and I think long-term interest rates could continue to move higher. Uh, perhaps the 10-year Treasury yield could uh, hit 10% by year-end, particularly in light of these uh, higher short-term inflation numbers. So in summary, I, I think we get some more higher inflation numbers in the months ahead, but we're probably back close to 2% on CPI and PCE by the start of next year. Uh, we could see some profit taking in the market, but I think stocks are setting up quite well longer term 
based on continuing economic and earnings growth and is still accommodated Federal Reserve. So I would brace for some short-term volatility, but I still really like the longer-term track. Okay, Tom, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for being with us here today. Thank you, Patrick. Investments are subject to market risk, including the loss of principal. Asset classes or investment strategies described may not be suitable for all investors. Past performance does not guarantee future results. The information included in this podcast should not be construed as investment advice or a recommendation for the purchase or sale of any security. This material contains general information only on investment matters. It should not be considered as a comprehensive statement on any matter and should not be relied upon as such. The information does not take into account any investor's investment objectives, particular needs, or financial situation. The value of any investment may fluctuate. This information has been developed by Transamerica Asset Management Incorporated and may incorporate third-party data, text, images, and other content to be deemed reliable. Comments and general market-related projections are based on information available at the time of writing and believed to be accurate, are for informational purposes only, are not intended as individual or specific advice, may not represent the opinions of the entire firm, and may not be relied upon for future investing. Investors are advised to consult with their investment professional about their specific financial needs and goals before making any investment decisions. The COVID-19 pandemic has caused substantial market disruption and dislocation around the world, including the U.S. Economies and financial markets throughout the world are increasingly interconnected. Economic, financial, or political events, trading and tariff arrangements, terrorism, technology and data interruptions, natural disasters, and other circumstances in one or more countries or regions could be highly disruptive to and have profound impacts on global economies or markets. Fixed income investing is subject to credit rate risk, interest rate risk, and inflation risk. Credit risk is the risk that the issuer of a bond won't meet their payments. Inflation risk is the risk that inflation could outpace a bond's interest income. Interest rate risk is the risk that fluctuations in interest rates will affect the price of a bond. Investing in floating rate loans may be subject to greater volatility and increased risks. Equities are subject to market risk, meaning that stock prices in general may decline over short or extended periods of time. Investments in global and or international markets involve risks not associated with U.S. markets, such as currency fluctuations, adverse social and political developments, and the relatively small size and lesser liquidity of some markets. These risks may be greater in emerging markets. Transamerica Asset Management Incorporated is an SEC-registered investment advisor. The funds advised and sponsored by Transamerica Asset Management Incorporated include Transamerica Funds, Transamerica Series Trust, and Delta Shares Exchange Traded Funds. Transamerica Asset Management Incorporated is an indirect, wholly-owned subsidiary of Aegon NV, an international life insurance, pension, and asset management company. 265615